owning college to start, press star three. Okay then, um, with that we'll move on to the town manager's report. Good evening, Mayor and Council. A uh, couple items I'm, I want to mention and then uh, uh, Mark and Kristen and Tara are gonna come up um, as well. As Shannon brings up the calendar reminders. Please let uh, Shannon know if you're planning on attending the chamber um, gala here in uh, February. They're looking for final headcount and uh, meal preferences, so um, that would be um, appropriate. Um, I believe on the 19th is the um, service for Joe Pro. Is that, do have that date right on the 19th? Then 19th at two o'clock at the uh, fairgrounds event right. center. So I sent you all a note on that and we'll participate with uh, flowers and in uh, a card from, from council. Um, so the community recognizes uh, Joe's service, not just to the community, but to the nation. Um, and then you see the rest of the uh, items there. We've got an open house um, that we're gonna have up at uh, the ACC uh, facility there in March. We're doing that because one of the heavy areas of emphasis in the pavement maintenance program this year is going to be in the meadows um, area and um, uh, you'll be seeing those bids on a future council um, agenda item and we do like to let the public know what's uh, what's going on it's a major endeavor for the community every year so we'll have that going on as well the next slide uh, just has one of the neighborhood meetings um, and this is uh, Wellspring and Castle Oaks Church's interest in the Quality Inn Hotel. This is not the La Quinta Inn, which is now under construction. And we participated in that project by a waiver of some of the, uh, the, the town fees. They have an interest in the, the other hotel that is, um, I guess you could say is adjacent to it, is nearby. Um, of turning it into another facility as well. So they're having a, a neighborhood meeting on February the 12th. So we wanna let the, the community and you all be reminded about that. With that, uh, Mark is gonna come up and talk about um, wastewater and wastewater rates. Everybody's favorite subject, wastewater. Uh, yes, yes, and about wastewater. So uh, I always like to say there is no wastewater. All water is water, and we want to hang on to it. But I did want to give council an update on uh, PCW, Plum Creek Water Reclamation Authority's latest utility master plan update. So they last did an update in 2017, and this was the next update. And this plan is designed to look 20 years out at potential costs, both from a regulatory and permitting standpoint, and also from a growth and capacity standpoint. And so they've done that. Um, and keep in mind, we just finished an expansion from 6.4 million gallons a day to 9.5 million gallons a day, which most of that capacity is for us. It's important to also understand that currently Plum Creek is operating under an administratively extended permit. 
which means the permit is still officially for 6.4 million gallons and not nine and a half. Um, but the permit has been extended. We are supposed to get a new permit for the facility at some point here in the near future. Um, the, big, the big news with this 20-year lookout is there's a potential for a significant need for capital investment to meet permit requirements that may be coming down the line, as well as to a lesser extent growth requirements, of course, for Castle Rock. And I just wanted to make this council aware of that. So in theory, they're talking about as much as $295 million worth of improvements over the next 20 years, the next two decades, which is a big number. Um, over 20 years, it's maybe not as bad as um, some things could be, but one of the concerns is much of these costs could come at us much more quickly. If we were to get a new permit this year that included all of the requirements that may be coming down the line here. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Of the 295 million, it's important to remember that we're about 76% of the total cost in terms of the capacity that we own and operate. So that's 223 million. Of that, about 188 million is related to the regulatory requirements that may be coming down the line, and about 35 million to capacity increases that we would put in place to meet future growth. So you can see growth is a much smaller part of this. This just kind of gives you a worst case scenario of what this might look like in this little graph. And you can see if we got a permit in 2024, oftentimes what happens with permits is they put you on a five-year compliance schedule to come up to speed with whatever new permit requirements are put in place. There are three in particular that were part of what we call the preliminary um, effluent limits that were evaluated for the plant based on the plant expansion that we just did, and that was manganese, chloride, and temperature. And in theory, we could have to come into compliance with those in a five-year time frame. You can also see nitrate and nitrite on there. Those are also part of that five-year time frame. And the problem with that is we would have to invest that $188 million of compliance over a five-year time frame, which would obviously be very difficult from a cost standpoint. So that's really the big concern here. Um, you can see there's some other things on here, but they're further out towards 2043. And quite frankly, the growth, the construction for the growth, which is the organic treatment capacity and hydraulic treatment capacity, that doesn't even start out till 2034 or beyond. So we're looking pretty good there. Um, just a couple other things to keep in mind. The, these are just the regulatory issues that we currently have on the radar. There is, getting, there is a lot of attention, as you guys know, on perfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, especially on the drinking water side, but they're also looking at this on the wastewater side, especially for solids, which get put on a farm out in eastern Colorado. Um, they're obviously concerned about that PFAS component of those solids going on the, uh, on the farm. So that's being looked at. And then you've seen a lot in the news lately about microplastics and nanoplastics, especially in bottled water. So um, tap water is the way to go. 
Um, that's just a little dig there. I won't go into any more detail about that. But um, uh, one of the good things, so just just something that's that's really good for us probably is only about 24% of the permits in the state are currently up to date. So what that means is the state is very slow at getting these permits brought up to date. That's a big problem in and of itself, and we really want them to speed that up, but it does mitigate some of the concern that we may get a permit this year. It's probably unlikely we'll get one this year or next year, quite frankly, unless the state does a lot of work to bring in additional resources. So that's good to know. If we had to proceed with all these things, we would have to definitely put out revenue bonds on the order of 190 million, which would be very difficult for the wastewater enterprise. So that's not a great option for us. And we would have to raise rates on an annual basis through about 2036 at a rate of 7.5%, also not a great option for us. So we do have some options, so that's good to know. Um, first and foremost, We'll continue to work with the Water Quality Control Division to temper some of these regulatory requirements and hopefully bring them into a place where they're more practical. Now, the good news is we were very successful with this, as you guys know, with the nitrogen and phosphorus standards that they were wanting to put in place in Chatfield Reservoir. We were able to get them to accept site-specific standards, and as Councilmember Cavey knows, we're working through that with the Chatfield Watershed Authority now to get those standards in place well before they're required by the state. But there's no guarantees there, but we'll certainly begin working with the state on those issues. The other thing, of course, we can do is look at an extended compliance schedule. And that's often done in a case where there are significant financial impacts. So an extended compliance schedule may look like a 10-year or even a 15- or 20-year compliance schedule, which would be much more reasonable if we did end up having to meet those requirements. Um, there is the possibility, and this has been done uh, periodically um, in Colorado and other places where you can request specific variances, site-specific variances for individual constituents. So what that would look like is maybe we don't have a permit, we get a variance for temperature, for example, and then we don't get hit with those costs. That would all depend on what the stream needs um, to maintain the standards the state's trying to maintain. It's really important that we continue to get the site-specific standards in place for Chatfield. And then the last thing I'll mention, because I think this is a really great solution for us, and this is kind of our ace in the hole if we can't get progress on some of these others, and that is we no longer discharge. So we don't need a discharge permit. Well, so what does that look like? Well, that looks like direct potable reuse, which as you guys know is part of our long-term strategy anyways, because as I started out with, wastewater is actually water. There is no wastewater, really. That's not even a useful term anymore because all water is very useful, as we know, because it costs us about $50,000 an acre, feet, acre foot to go get more. So wastewater is very valuable to us. So direct potable reuse, we eliminate a discharge, we save any of that money on regulatory requirements, and we put it towards bringing that water back for purification at the... Uh, Plum Creek Water Purification Plant as it was designed to do from the beginning. And so 
That is it. I'm happy to answer any questions. So see, Councilmember Brooks, all good news at the end. <laughs> any questions? Uh, Laura Cavey. So is there anything that we can do here like we did with Chatfield where we did site-specific kind of studies survey to say no, this would be what we, we would need from our site-specific and we don't need to meet these particular requirements in order to kind of fend off some of this. I mean, I am not um, a fan right now of trying to raise rates um, with the folks in Castle Rock, particularly with what we're facing right now with high inflation. Our property taxes are gonna go through the roof. Um, it's just a very difficult time to try and be going to do something like that, you know, in the community. No, I think that's a great question. And the, and the answer to that is absolutely. So this utility report is a part of that process. So identifying these things and then beginning to work with the state on the concerns and then looking at what the options are in terms of studies, especially on Plum Creek, which is where this will be uh, the major impact. And, you know, um, Plum Creek is... For example, it's a warm water fishery, so temperature is really only a problem during certain times of the year. So is it really a problem for us or not is the question. So a detailed study on that may help eliminate that concern. So absolutely, that's part of this solution of working with the state through these issues now and not waiting until we get a permit in hand. Thank you. Thank you. Any more questions or comments for Mark Marlowe? Thank you, Mark. Next up, Kristen's gonna talk a little bit um, about some of the work in the, in the General Assembly. And keep in mind, she's the messenger, not the message. She's Thank you, Mayor, members of Council. As Councilmember Dietz previewed, the General Assembly is in session. They started up last month and will be going through May. And so we wanted to bring you an update on some key items that they are considering. Uh, this actually is a little bit out of date. I created this slide on Friday, and I think I probably added 20 more plus bills to the tracking today, which is why my computer is here in case you have a question about something. I can find it really quickly if I have my computer, but if not, I have to use my brain to rifle through all those bills. So um, what we really want to discuss tonight is the issue that was of great interest to you all last session, which is land use. It is a hot topic at the General Assembly again this year, along with public safety and some fiscal policy items. We're not asking you for positions on any of those items tonight, but we do have a few land use items that we wanted to bring your attention and get your position on and that will really enable staff to not only send a letter but also to um, work with you all to get someone from Castle Rock to testify as appropriate during various hearings on these items. So the first one that we would like to request your opposition on is House Bill 1107 which would eliminate the cap that the town currently has on residential occupancy. Um, again, the philosophy has been local control on these types of items is better, and so that's why we're bringing you all of these as a recommendation to oppose. The second one is House Bill 1151, dealing with accessory dwelling units. We already allow accessory dwelling units within Castle Rock and checking in with Tara's team. Since we started allowing those in 2017, we have seen roughly 100 of those 
um, pull permits here in Castle Rock. And basically what this would effectively do is replace our own local specifications for those with statewide specifications. And um, just continuing with the theme of local control is better. We thought you would like to oppose that piece of legislation. The final two bills that we recommend opposing haven't actually been introduced yet. But um, the first, um, we don't believe would apply to Castle Rock, but in slide decks I've seen it would apply to Lone Tree, it would apply to Douglas County, so it gets pretty close to Castle Rock, and so um, probably better if there are going to be mandates, uh, particularly tied to the um, HUTF funds that communities receive. We'd uh, recommend opposing that uh, transit-oriented developments bill that is forthcoming here in the next few weeks, as well as an anticipated bill to ban parking minimums on developments. I know that's been a topic of council's interest and discussion over the past year, and um, I believe you all would want to keep those decisions local, so that's really why we recommend there is a letter attached in your packet to our local delegation, and we would recommend you all opposing these items so that we can send that letter and take other actions to keep land use items local to Castle Rock, and I'm glad to answer any questions about these or any other items that we are tracking for you all this session. Any questions? Max? Yeah, the revival of uh, what was 213 last year, I believe that CML had introduced a version to try to get ahead of uh, uh, of, um, of that mess, you know, uh, figuring that that was going to come back. Uh, do we have any idea about what happened with, with what CML had introduced? Their bill has not yet been introduced. They're actually expecting to introduce it on Friday. They are supposed to be sending us the latest draft um, yet today or tomorrow. Okay. I know there were some concerns shared on a meeting I was in today that uh, really, if all of these other bills pass, would that just be yet another requirement that gets imposed on local governments? And so there was some deliberation about the benefits of that if we're confronted with all of these other pieces of legislation also. So once that's introduced, we can get it in front of you all and uh, allow you to you know, see it and take a position. It did sound a little bit dynamic still, but they are getting very close because they said today they hope to have that introduced on Friday. Um, thank you for staying on top of this. I'm sure you're aware of House Resolution 1004, which changes the procedures during the final days of being able to read a bill at length. Uh, you know, the, the House, along party lines, passed that to extend that from three days to 10 days, which means you'll be pretty busy uh, in your last 10 days, although the intent is, of course, to remove uh, the ability for any, any resident of Colorado to have any input whatsoever on the process. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay. I was just going to mention I, tomorrow morning, I'm in the Metro, Metro, Metro Mayor's Caucus tomorrow morning. I think CML has a presentation. I'll, if something interesting comes up, I'll, I'll email it to everybody. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate you keeping an eye on all of this very much. Um, I move to affirm staff's recommended positions. Oh, we. No, go ahead. On state legislation as presented and direct staff to communicate the positions to the town legislative delegation, CML, and others. Second. I have a first from Laura Cavey, a second from Councilmember Dietz. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Final part of the manager's report is to have Tara come up and uh, review some uh, recent development activity.
Good, good evening, Mayor and Council. It's been a slightly slower start to the development year, so I only have uh, three projects to highlight for you. Uh, we have had one new quasi-judicial application uh, submitted since we last presented in January. This is in Mayor Pro Tem Lafleur's District 4. Um, this is uh, specific to a house at 104 North Lewis. Uh, in the Craig and Gold neighborhood, if a structure has been built Prior to 1945, they're required to obtain a demolition permit that has to go through Historic Preservation Board for a recommendation to council. So this item uh, will be coming shortly to uh, your agenda, possibly in March. So just wanted to give you the heads up on that one. It's a little different than uh, some of the things we normally talk about. For pre-applications, again, these are not formal applications, but they are project ideas uh, that folks have. Sometimes they're polished developers, sometimes they are uh, business folks looking to expand, so not all of them pan out after they talk with us on the process. Uh, the first one is in Councilmember Hollingshead District 1. So these are two buildings that are already constructed at the north end of Timbermill Parkway on the north end of the meadows as there's a proposed tenant looking uh, to go into one of the spaces, uh, looking at uh, some questions on how to add some screening to the existing truck court and converting a storage area um, that really hasn't been used yet as a storage yard uh, into an additional 72 parking spaces and probably losing two existing parking spaces. So uh, that is a question um, that is into staff at this point as to what that process is. Uh, and then down, I will say, adjacent to Councilmember Dietz's district, uh, we have a pre-application request for an annexation. So this property, as you can see on the map, is south of the future Crystal Valley Interchange. Um, it is in unincorporated Douglas County. It is considered contiguous with the town's boundary uh, due to the Dawson Trails property being on the west side of I-25. Um, annexation laws, um, are sometimes complicated or creative, but in this case, uh, contiguity jumps the right of way. So it is considered um, eligible for annexation. It's currently used as RV storage on the parcel in the county, and that's the current proposal into the town uh, is for RV storage. And again, this is adjacent to Councilmember Dietz's district. So that's the end of my development update for you all this evening. Happy to answer any questions if you have them. Any questions for Tara? Thank you, Tara. Thank you. That's all I have this evening. Thank you. Thank you, David. Moving on to the town attorney's report, Michael. Uh, thank you, Mayor, members of the council. I uh, want to go ahead and uh, present our uh, uh, end of the year report tonight. Uh, and also an opportunity to introduce you to uh, some of the members of our, our team. Ah, and there is Shannon with the magic button. Will this work? Okay. Green light appears to be on. So without further ado, thank you, Shannon. This is the uh, town attorney's team. Uh, we've had some changeover in the past year. So uh, our senior member of the team is Lindsay Jordan. I believe uh, you all uh, got to know her a little bit uh, earlier this year when uh, uh, she covered the meetings during my vacation. Uh, Lindsay uh, does mainly our public safety work, but Lindsay is also a very experienced civil litigator. And uh, we uh, managed to pry her away from uh, uh, my former employer, the city and county of Denver. And uh, Lindsay has done a bang up job here for us. Uh, I, I hope that my friends at the back table can attest to that. Yep, there we go, got the thumbs up. Uh, so uh, 
we've uh, just hired two new attorneys. Uh, Caitlin Parker comes to us uh, from uh, Fountain, and uh, I think she's very grateful for the uh, change of scenery because she lives in Parker, so uh, Fountain's quite a drive. But uh, Caitlin has also a good deal of uh, civil litigation experience and has also worked as a, uh, an assistant city attorney for the city of Inglewood. Uh, Caitlin's working with our uh, friends in Parks. And uh, as you'll find out, we all do a little bit of work for uh, Mr. Marlowe in the water department because he is our biggest customer. And then uh, Sarah Jean Roger, uh, we just uh, hired her. She is, uh, this is her first uh, law job, uh, just uh, graduated from law school. But she has a great deal of experience as a paralegal, which I find to be some of the most valuable experience you can have uh, coming into this profession. And so uh, uh, Sarah did spend some time with uh, the town attorney's office in Crested Butte. Uh, as a paralegal, and uh, several other offices uh, as well. So uh, welcome to the two of them. She is doing a lot of work with our public works department. And uh, again, Mark Marlowe <laughs> and the water department. Uh, our admin side of the team is headed by Stephanie Raff. Uh, she is our legal operations and risk manager. Uh, she has uh, really done a great job of uh, uh, handling our relationship with CIRSA, our insurer, and uh, uh, handles all of the uh, claims that come through the town, as well as manages our office. Uh, Wen Tran is our paralegal. We welcome her uh, this year, and uh, she has done an amazing job. Um, Stephanie and I pride away Wen from, again, from our former employer in Denver. And uh, so Wen has become an integral part of our team in a very short period of time, as has Ashley Costigan, who we just hired as our legal specialist. And so uh, Ashley does a lot of work with our municipal court and uh, has really been a great addition to the team. And in fact, Ashley is the one who prepared this report tonight. Uh, so without further ado, uh, I'd like to share with you some of the things that we do in our office. Uh, honestly, I think one of the things that uh, probably the most uh, practical and volume heavy uh, part of our practice is drafting, drafting agreements. Uh, as you can see, there are a variety of agreements that uh, we see come through our offices, uh, whether it's a service contract, whether it's part of a property acquisition or uh, sale, uh, whether it's land use, uh, construction. We have uh, the uh, uh, amphitheater, the MAC, where we hire performers and artists, historic preservation easements, anything to do with public finance, uh, if we uh, uh, do any sort of borrowing. Uh, intergovernmental agreements with our fellow uh, uh, Douglas County jurisdictions and of course the state of Colorado. Uh, water delivery, uh, employment uh, agreements and uh, settlements, and then economic assistance agreements. Uh, and then of course we uh, provide uh, uh, backup to uh, the town council. Uh, we uh, do all, draft all the resolutions, the ordinances. Uh, we do all the code amendments and uh, we are an integral part of the Granicus Review, Granicus Review team with our A team and, and Shannon. 
Uh, we prepare election questions and, of course, review metro district applications. Uh, client relations. We spend a lot of time going to meetings and working with our team members, our fellow team members in this town. We do a lot of work here, and uh, we do it with a very lean staff. So uh, we are all involved in every facet of what we do here at the town. We work with our departments. We uh, uh, meet with developers. We uh, serve our boards and commissions. We address personnel matters and, of course, any sort of general legal advice we need to give in town business, we uh, do. We handle a great deal of portion of the risk management uh, aspects of uh, the town, along with uh, Assistant Town Manager Matt Goal. We work with CIRSA. Uh, we provide a uh, a link to our litigators, as uh, some of you may know. Most of our litigation is done uh, through CIRSA-approved counsel, but especially having Lindsay Jordan on board, uh, we uh, have a very uh, uh, strong oversight of those processes. Uh, any sort of property or casualty claims coming in, loss control, we're involved in the safety team with Stephanie. All the reporting that we do, the audits that we do, uh, we play a heavy role in that. Uh, we manage restitution, uh, the insurance renewal process, and the annual CIRSA audit. Uh, and then through our uh, uh, contract prosecutors, uh, the Osmus Law Firm, we provide uh, a municipal prosecutor, and as I said, Ashley is uh, really our interface with uh, our municipal court. Uh, whenever there is uh, the need for boots on the ground, uh, discovery requests, motion requests, we're involved and we work very closely uh, with our courts. And then of course the various miscellaneous items that come up. Anytime we acquire property, uh, either through purchase or eminent domain, uh, tax and licensing issues, uh, zoning violations, uh, open meetings and open records uh, requests. Uh, certainly our town clerk's office handles a large volume of open records requests. Uh, and of course, we advise on quasi-judicial matters. Now this is an interesting document because I did have some help uh, uh, on this this uh, evening uh, through uh, Mr. Brower, uh, gave me a little report. Uh, I want to just show you the number of legal documents we prepared in 2023. Uh, and we did a total of 849 contracts. Now we're able to find this out fairly easily because we run reports now through our new legal files software, uh, in which we have uh, joined the technological era and now are able to uh, keep track of the work we do uh, electronically. Uh, great deal of help to us. Uh, it speeds up our processes immensely. Uh, 43 ordinances, 142 resolutions, and 94 uh, documents, uh, whether it's easements, deeds, and real property, purchase and sale agreements. Here's a breakdown by uh, department. Now you'll notice that uh, our biggest customer so Mr. Marlowe and his uh, group at the bottom. Now, I think Jeff has uh, uh, corrected me. I think that uh, the number we have in the town clerk slot may need to be reprogrammed because I don't think we did three parks and recs contracts last year. Uh, Jeff tells me we did 155. 
and I trust his numbers. So with every computer program, there is a glitch. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it just gives you an idea of the volume. And, and I was uh, at lunch with, uh, uh, we do a, a Metro City Attorneys uh, get together, and uh, uh, one of our former deputy city attorneys uh, uh, at Castle Rock, Deanne Durfee and I, uh, generally uh, uh, are, are lunch regulators. And she was, uh, uh, commiserating about the loss of one of her attorneys with me and she told me that they had a record year in Denver in drafting contracts at the city attorney's office. She mentioned every time that they increased that number by 200, they had a body in, in their section. So uh, uh, I asked her, how many did you do? Well, we did 3,200. And then I asked her, how many attorneys do you have now? 30. So. We do a heavy volume, I just wanted to tell you. Our attorneys here uh, are, are a good bang for the buck. And let's be honest, our administrative staff does throw in and help immensely. Uh, we couldn't get our jobs done without them. So anyway, that's pretty much it. I think that's the end of our presentation. I hope I didn't like click anything off when I hit that. Okay, I don't wanna break any computer stuff. But if you have any questions, we're happy to, to answer them. Uh, but I wanted to make sure you were aware of uh, what we were doing for you. No, thank you for the review. Any questions for Michael or staff? No, congrats on your new team members. Well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm really excited uh, with the new hires. They seem to be really catching on quickly, and the reports I've had uh, coming in are, are all positive, so that's, that's good to know. Good. Thank you very much. You bet. Moving on to the acceptance of the agenda. There are no changes, additions, or deletions to the agenda. A motion to accept the agenda as presented will be accepted. So moved. Second. I have a first by Kevin Bracken, a second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Deets? Yes. Mayor Portem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to the consent calendar. These items are generally routine in nature and have been discussed previously and reviewed by town council and will be voted on in a single motion without discussion. Any member of town council may remove an item from the consent calendar. Number eight, ordinance 2024-1, ordinance amending chapters 5.06, 5.07, and 17.01 of the Castle Rock Municipal Code prohibit delivery of marijuana, marijuana products within this town. And then number nine, resolution 2024-10, resolution accepting the offer to the Symmetra Life Insurance Company of the town of Castle Rock for stop loss insurance coverage for the calendar year 2024. And number 10, minutes 2024-3, minutes uh, January 16th, 2024, town council meeting. I will accept the motion. Motion to accept the agenda is presented. Second. First by Max Brooks, the second by Ryan Hollingshead. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Cedify's <laughs> paying attention. <laughs> Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Portem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passed unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to advertise public hearings and discussion and action items. Public comment. We take on these items unlimited to four minutes per speaker. Council will also be able to accept the comments. comments written online at crgo.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in the public record. 
Number 11, Ordinance 2024-2, Ordinance annexing the town of Castle Rock, Colorado, 3.76 acres of land owned by a town and located at Section 25, Township 7, South Range 67 West, and the 6th Principal Meridian, Douglas County, Colorado. Tara. Great. Good evening, Mayor and Council. I have before you a proposed annexation. Uh, for town-owned uh, open space. As you can see on this vicinity map, uh, this uh, parcel is long and skinny. It stretches from Crowfoot Valley Road um, up uh, north uh, or just adjacent to Diamond Ridge area uh, all the way down to Founders Parkway. Uh, it even narrows um, to really just a, a foot or two uh, in the middle of it. So this property has been owned by the town it's about 3.76 acres in size. Um, this is part of our overall cleanup efforts to bring parcels of land that the town owns uh, into our jurisdictional boundaries where they're eligible for annexation. You can see that this uh, strip of land borders uh, incorporated town boundaries on the east and west side. Uh, Metzer's Ranch uh, has their open space tracks along uh, their boundary and the canyons far south property uh, has there a large portion of open space in the same area. Um, I'm trying to think what else to mention on this. Oh, there is, you can see in the aerial, uh, an existing Castle Rock water tank. So the property today has an access drive uh, that comes in off of Crowfoot um, that is used to access the water tank. Uh, otherwise, um, it doesn't have any other uses on it. Uh, the town, we're not proposing any changes to the use of the property um, and are looking to zone it as open space so it's contiguous with the open space on either side of it. As a part of um, the annexation process, but since this property is town owned and does not consist solely of right of way, uh, we are coming before you tonight as the annexation separate from the zoning. The zoning is the next item on the agenda under the quasi-judicial section. Uh, but this item is not uh, go through the state um, steps of eligibility or substantial completion uh, due to how the state statute is written from their Municipal Annexation Act of 1965. So we're before you tonight uh, for the request to annex it. Um, as I mentioned, the zoning will be the next item, but I do want to mention um, under this item, so you know we're proposing to zone it PL2. Uh, that's a public land district that's in our Title 17 code. It's intended primarily for municipally owned properties and public uses, and you can see the list of permitted uses on it. We feel this is um, best describes how the property is used today and cohesive with the open space areas on either side. Um, and we did have some community outreach. We held a neighborhood meeting on November 16th. Uh, for that neighborhood meeting, um, we also included four core parcels that are owned by Core Electric. So I'm gonna back up just for a minute on the um, vicinity map. I meant to mention um, just here on the southeast corner is a substation that Core Electric owns. Um, so this parcel, as well as three others around town that are eligible for annexation, we're working with CORE to annex. So that's not before you tonight, but that was a part of that neighborhood meeting. So I just want to um, point that out. At the neighborhood meeting, the six folks that attended were there with a lot of questions specific to the new substation, Citadel substation under construction just north of Dawson Trails. So there were, uh, no one was in attendance with questions or comments on the tower open space parcel. Therefore, we did not hold any additional neighborhood meetings. Um, 
staff uh, has reviewed the state statute, uh, Title 31, and specifically the Municipal Annexation Act, as well as our own Title 20 uh, vision and comprehensive master plan and determined that this proposed annexation meets those requirements. And we recommend uh, your consideration of annexing this parcel tonight. So I have some motions for your consideration. I move to approve the annexation ordinances introduced by title and then two alternative motions if you need be. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have on the topic. Thank you, Tara. Any questions for Tara? Laura Cavey. Just a quick one. When we go back to what it could be zoned for, a lot of it's talking about a wildlife corridor, um, open space, trails. Um, I've never seen, I mean, who would be parking along there? Right. No, That's no. just part of what a PL2 encompasses? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. I just so wanted to land, make sure. Yeah. All land zone PL2 allows those uses um, on the aerial. Um, again, it's all blue, so I guess that is hard to show. The only improvements on the property are a dirt access drive. Um, you can see a piece of it on the Metzo Ranch portion um, that accesses this tank. Um, and so we're proposing no changes to it. I'm just showing you all the uses that are in that zone. We don't pick and choose the ones, but we are not planning to build a wildlife sanctuary on this narrow strip yep. of land. <laughs> just, wanted, just wanted to be yep, clear. No, good Thank clarification, you. no problem. <laughs> Any more questions for staff? Seeing none, I will open to the public. I have no one's time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium, speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand features and phone and callers can press star three. And state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the annexation ordinance as introduced by title. Second. Well, first by Max Brooks, and second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pertem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to quasi-judicial hearings, the following items are due process hearings required by Colorado law in order to afford all parties um, pro process under law. Town council members must be fair and impartial in deciding whether the application should be approved, approve the conditions, or denied. In making that determination, each council member must consider for the record, which includes planning commission recommendations, staff recommendation, the applicant presentation, public comment presented during the hearing, and other written public comments. Um, presented presented before or during the hearing under town council law must be evaluate proposed uh, the pro proposals basis solely on record and criteria established in the municipal code which are highlighted in the staff report it is important that each council member remain objective and capable of considering information offered into the record during this hearing. If any council member believes that he or she is incapable of evaluating and voting on the application consistent with these due process requirements, please describe the situation and recuse yourself from further participation. Does any council member have a conflict of interest that he or she would like to discuss or disclose prior to the meeting? Madam Clerk, has this public hearing been properly noticed under ethical regulations for these types of land use hearings? 
Mayor, yes, it has. Thank you. Council will hear from the applicant and the public and the staff. Public comments will be taken on limited to four minutes per speaker. Council is also accepting written comments online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be entered into the record. Number 12, Ordinance 2024-3, Ordinance approving the initial zoning for 3.76 acres of land owned by the town of Castle Rock, located in Section 25, Township 7, South Range 67, west of the 6th Principal Meridian, Douglas County, Colorado. Tara. All right, good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, this is the same parcel of land we just discussed on the last agenda item, so tower open space. Um, Still 3.76 acres. I just want to make sure I touch on everything because this is a separate item. Uh, you can see that it extends from Crowfoot Valley Road down to Founders Parkway, and it is bounded by the town of Castle Rock on both the east and west sides with Messler Ranch and Canyons Far South. Um, and I, I do want to point out Macanta is the neighborhood in unincorporated Douglas County to the northeast, as well as there's some Excel power lines that, that run through that area of their open space. The proposed zoning is proposed to be public land two, uh, which is intended primarily for town-owned property. So you can see the list of uses there, and as clarified, we're not planning to construct anything new on this property or make changes to it, but to zone this property um, as we're required to do as we bring it into our jurisdictional boundaries. Uh, we did the one neighborhood meeting November 16th, and there was no one in attendance that commented on the zoning portion of this property either. Uh, staff finds that the zoning complies with the Municipal Code, Title 17, as well as our vision and comprehensive master plans. Uh, Planning Commission reviewed the proposed zoning, as is required by Title 17, at their um, uh, meeting in January, and they recommend approval of the open space zoning of PL2 to Town Council. So with that, I have a proposed motion for your consideration, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thanks, Tara. Any questions for Tara or staff? Seeing none, we'll put the public. I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium, speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And following callers, press star three if you state your name, whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll break the town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the zoning ordinances introduced by title. Second. First by Laura Cavey, a second by Kevin Bracken. Any, any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember Bracken. Yes. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Bertem LaFleur. Aye. Mayor Gray. Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Next, we have uh, number 13, resolution, resolution 2024 11. Resolution finding a certain property, which is the subject of petition for annexations um, submitted by George Matone. Matone, Matone is eligible for annexation under Article 2, Section 30 of the Colorado Constitution and Sections 31-12-104 and 31-12-105 CRS Constitution and Sections, oh sorry, CRS, sorry. And that is it, Tara. All right, so my last uh, development item for you guys tonight, uh, this property is uh, 10 and a half acres in size. You can see on the vicinity map that it is located uh, just south of the Four Corners intersection. Uh, it's directly across Ridge Road from the King Super and Founders Marketplace Plaza. Uh, it is also adjacent to the town boundary on its uh, west and southwestern side where it borders the, the Mim and Young uh, land that's been in the town since the 80s. Um, 
see, and there's an additional core substation um, right there to the east on this map. For uh, privately owned property that's looking to annex into a jurisdiction, uh, the state statute lays out three steps uh, that are required for the annexation process. Uh, this property has already been before you for step one, substantial compliance. That's where we uh, really just determine that the petition was accurate and complete. Uh, tonight, we're having the eligibility hearing where we're required uh, procedurally to determine that this, if this property can be annexed into the town. So right now, we are looking at a very a short list of parameters. Uh, in the future, um, we will have public hearings where we look at the annexation and the proposed zoning, and that's when we will make the determination, you all will make the determination on whether it should be annexed into the town. So again, tonight we're purely looking at the eligibility requirements, which are laid out in the state statutes. Um, in this case, this property does meet all of the items on the screen here. 100% um, of the landowners have uh, signed the petition. They are more than one sixth contiguous with the town's boundary. They are capable of being integrated with the town. Uh, there's a community of interest that exists between this property and the town. Um, this parcel is not a part of any other incorporated jurisdiction. It will not extend the town's boundaries by more than three miles. Uh, annexation will not change which school district this parcel is in. And uh, this parcel has no um, elements that would require an election or any other terms. So based on the review of the requirements in Article 2, Section 30 of the Colorado Constitution, um, staff uh, proposes that this property meets the eligibility requirements. So we recommend approval of the resolution before you tonight. Um, have a motion for your consideration. I'm happy to answer any questions you have at this time. Questions for Tara? Seeing none. For public comment, I know one's started to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. And in speaking to the microphone, online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and callers express star three. And please state your name and whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Max Brook, a second by Ryan, Ryan Hollingshead. Any further discussion? Roll call, roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember Bracken. Yes. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Aye. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Tara. Additional public public hearings and discussion action items. Public comment will be taken on these items for four minutes per speaker. Council will also accept the comments submitted written online at CRGov backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in the public record. Number 14, direction discussion 2024-3, uh, Cobblestone Metro District Mill Levy for Fire Emergency Services. David? Mayor and Council, pursuant to uh, Council direction, uh, that we received la late last year. Um, staff has put together um, a, a memo in this PowerPoint that discusses uh, this issue. I'm calling it the Cobblestone Metro District. Technically, it, it is the villages at Castle Rock Metropolitan District number six. Um, focusing in on Cobblestone helps us know where, um, where this is, and hopefully that gives uh, 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 fair uh, info to the the residences uh, as well. Um, 
back, uh, this property that is subject to this uh, Metro District Mill Levy was annexed, I believe, back in the 1980s. Um, but it um, was not moved for a development really until uh, this century. In, in June of 2004, the Metro District entered into an IGA with the town that they would levy a property tax of 10 mills and then that the town would receive those funds and we would use those funds uh, for fire protection and emergency response services. So for the past 20 years, uh, the Metro District has done what they agreed to and the town has done what they agreed to. Um, and it is, we think, I, I think from a staff standpoint and in discussion with uh, uh, Councilmember Cavey that where this uh, district uh, uh, resides, it's time to, to review this and see if that's how we want to continue into the future. I've got um, a little bit of maps. This is the, the town's boundary in 2004, um, which significantly doesn't really change all that much from what the boundary is uh, 20 years later, if you notice that. Um, if you go back to 1981, when uh, right before this property was, was annexed, you see uh, that that um, really that, that uh, metro district and that um, uh, villages at Castle Rock really took in a lot of uh, the eastern part of the of the community. Um, so um, you could get a little bit of history as to why this was was done. This is the the villages at Castle Rock Metro District Number Six uh, boundary, which again I'm, I'm referring to as as cobblestone as as that area. Um, largely developed, there are some areas that will receive some um, additional subdivisions um, in that area, but it's largely been, been built out. Um, when you read the IGA, and that is part of your uh, agenda packet, um, you really get an idea of why uh, this was done. Um, and it really was to, to allow for this uh, development to, um, to continue. The, the mill levy was a key part of, of why it was meritorious to annex and develop the property. Without the 10 mil levy, um, annexation and development might not have proceeded. It's worth noting, and these are um, not 23 for 24 budget purpose mill levies. These were mill levies uh, before all of that got finalized. Franktown, which is immediately adjacent to the area, is uh, 13 mills, and uh, Castle Rock Fire Protection District uh, was at, at, at 12 mills. So since the time, again, 20 years ago, the town has um, grown, as we all know, um, through all of these different entitlements. And um, significantly, we are in the planning stages. Uh, Chief Kroom just sent me one of the first of the memos that will help us move forward on the construction and operations of fire station number 156. It will be called sixes, because they don't like to, they like to just abbreviate. So sixes will uh, be hopefully operational by 2026, which means we'll do design work this year, construction work next year, and then operational by 2026. It will be on Castle Oaks Drive, probably near Pleasant View Drive. You'll be seeing a lot more information about that here in the coming weeks and months. Significantly, that fire station will increase the reliability response time. Um, for the town and the, the fire protection district area and residents. So it's particularly those in the cobblestone area. 
Um, that doesn't come without a cost. Um, we are estimating, and it is a guess, that the new fire station will cost in the neighborhood of $8 million. It's not a particularly friendly neighborhood, but it's a lot of money, $8 million. The last fire station we built, 152, also referred to as twos, there on Crystal Valley Parkway, cost um, in the neighborhood of $6 million. And operationally, um, the cost will exceed over $2 million a year to staff that facility. But it's great to live in a community that can afford to do that and puts it as a top priority. And we're both of that. We, we, uh, we put it as a top priority and we're gonna make it happen. So um, you're gonna be seeing a lot more about that, uh, th that work proceeding forward. The, um, the proposal is to phase down that, that, that 10 mils to the five mills that we now require of all um, uh, Metro District service plans. Seems appropriate uh, for, uh, for us to continue uh, to do that given the significant costs that, um, that, that we incur um, in, in, in providing that, that service. It also, I think, and there uh, hopefully going to be some citizen comments and maybe some citizen comments as this proceeds, it's also fair for residents out there to say, well, why are we paying 10 mils uh, for this service when other places around town are not doing that? That's a fair comment as well. Um, so we think it's appropriate to, uh, to look at a phase down. The, the amount, and I don't have the 23 for 24 budget dollar amount. We won't get that money here for a while from the Metro District, but it's in excess of $400,000. So in a uh, general fund budget that's uh, in the neighborhood of about $80 million, it's an important revenue source, but it's not tipping things. We think that we can phase this down and it will ha not have that significant of a budget impact um, over time. So the, the proposal that um, we'd like, um, the staff is recommending is for us to reduce it once the new fire station is operational, one mil a year for five years and then, and then keep it at five mils as part of a revised IGA with, uh, with the Metro District. Um, you're going to be hearing uh, from this microphone the, the rest of this year how precious every nickel is going forward given some of the plateauing out of our revenues and some of our increased costs. So we don't do this lightly or cavalierly, um, but we have a, a, a confidence that, w that this is the right way to proceed. I think it's fair to the, the residents. Um, um, in this part of the, of the community. Uh, and uh, it would result roughly in a 50% reduction in the mill levy, which would otherwise be a 50% reduction in the revenue that we would receive. But we think that it's, uh, that it's appropriate. Um, we will have lived it for a quarter of a century by the time it's phased down to five, and that seems about right, is just, uh, just our observation. Because again, we haven't done this elsewhere um, it, it, when you look at the map and how far it was out in the community, I think you can see some of the rationale as to why it was required. But um, now that we have grown that way, um, I think that its uh, rationale is, is diminished. Um, so that's uh, the long and the short of it. We've got an agreement. 
Um, obviously, uh, Chief Kroom is familiar with this. This money goes to the general fund. The general fund is the only fund that supports the operations of Castle Rock Fire and Rescue. So um, that would be the, uh, the, the, the consequence of that. But that's, that's our, our recommendation on, on how to proceed. Um, you all decide on uh, if you want us to um, or not. If we don't proceed, it'll stay the same. It's a contract, it stays the same. If you want us to, then what we would do is work with uh, the Metro District Council um, to uh, come up with an IGA that reflects what is set out in the staff report. I'm happy to respond to any questions. Any questions for David? Laura Katie? Comments, but do you want me to wait? Yeah, we'll go ahead and go to public comment first. Um, the questions for David will go to public comment. I have no one's time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers and press star three. And please state your name, whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, okay. Stand a pew, cobblestone resident. I've been in cobblestone for about five years. I'm also on the board of the Metro District out there as well. And um, we've been kind of challenged with taxes out there because the Metro District was a mess, to be perfectly honest. And so we refinanced all of our debt. And so we've been able to uh, come to terms where we'll actually pay off our bonds in 25 years now, which they weren't going to get paid off before. Um, so then we started examining where else we could save. We, we did cut back our funding, our general fund requirements, because we don't have many needs out there to uh, take care of. So we uh, reduced that considerably. And then we started looking at the IGA. And there's really nothing we can do other than respectfully ask for some benevolence. Uh, you know, we have been paying, or the cobblestone people have been paying for 20 years at 10 mills. And there's other areas in uh, Castle Rock subdivisions that they don't pay any. So uh, there's quite a disparity. And so that's what we brought up to uh, Laura Cavey, our council member, uh, uh, right at the end of December. And she, uh, thankfully, carried the torch for us. So. We, uh, the uh, agreement as proposed sounds wonderful to us. That's all I got. Thank you. Appreciate it. Any more from the public would like to like a comment on this? Seeing none, now we're back to town council. Oh, sir, sorry. Go ahead. My name is David Garris. I am a resident of Cobblestone. Um, shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, I debated whether to even come up here and, and speak. I'm super happy to hear that you're even considering this. Um, we are in a contra contract, and we're, you know, that that's the contract. So I appreciate considering this. Um, I hope that you do consider, um, you know, kind of the perspective we're coming from. We don't, um, we're not around when these metro districts are formed. We don't get to set the terms. And we're kind of, we kind of discover them when we buy the home and move in and 
Um, I just looked at my taxes. My taxes this year are going to be 10%, or not 10%, 1% of the value of our home. Um, I know this isn't going to wipe out all of that, um, but um, that, would be, that would be helpful um, in kind of managing the expenses that we deal with. I hope that you do consider this. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll ask again if there's anybody from the audience like to walk up and uh, speak on the microphone, would be great. Otherwise, online. Seeing none. Now back to town council for discussion and a possible motion. Uh, Laura Cady. Yeah, so this was brought to my attention back when we did our open house in October for District 2. There was a lot of people there that um, were very concerned about the 10 mills. I know, Dave, you heard it as well as I heard it. So, um, and then I went and um, met with the HOA in December and talked to them about what we might be able to possibly do. I think this is the right direction to go for them. Um, as we've stated, number one, um, there isn't anybody else within the town of Castle Rock that's paying 10 mils. Everybody today is paying five um, or some none. Um, and I think stepping it down over time is, is the right way to go about it since we're trying to stand up the new fire station. Um, but I would like to help the cobblestone residents, particularly in a time where, you know, property taxes are extremely high, inflation is high. I want to see what we can do to bring them back in line with the rest of Castle Rock. So thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Go ahead, Laura. I recommend that staff proceed with preparation of a revised intergovernmental agreement for future council consideration as set forth in the staff memorandum. Second. First by Laura Cady, a second by Max Brooks. Any further discussion? Max? Very much in favor of this, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it, staff mentioned, I get it at the time, probably made sense given the proximity of Cobblestone Ranch to the rest of town and the expense of covering a service that was geographically separated from the rest of town, but it's time to be able to give those residents in that area a break and bring them in line. Um, I would like to say a thank you to the residents of Castlewood Ranch that came out. Uh, Thank you for paying attention uh, with the Metro districts. Thank you for getting involved and looking for a way to be able to save your homeowners money. That's huge. Thank you for your service on the Metro district. Uh, and thank you for being fiscally responsible and, and, and looking out for the residents there because as uh, Councilwoman Capey mentioned, you know, we have valuations that are through the roof. We have, um, we have taxes, property taxes, metro districts are right there, and to be able to bring this back in line, even step down, step down program, um, is is only right. So, thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cave. Yes. Councilmember Bracken. Yes. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember D. Yes. Mayor Bertram LaFleur. Aye. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Number 15, Ordinance 2024-4, Ordinance Amending Various uh, Provisions of the Chapter 4.04 of the Castle Rock Municipal Code for Dedication of Water Rights and the Condition of Annexation to Town. Mark. 
Thank you, Mayor and Council. This isn't as exciting as wastewater, but um, this is uh, still very important. So this is our water dedication code. And uh, basically, this, this defines what any development that comes into town or develops in town has to do in terms of water. So pretty important stuff. We want to make a couple of changes, however, to the code. As over the years, there's been some things that have come up that um, we need to really uh, bring up to date. So. Um, the, the, the big things here um, we want to do is we want to be able to waive um, what we call adjudication requirements under certain conditions. We want to be able to waive title opinion requirements under certain conditions, and I'll get into what those are. We want to remove development entitlement credit for what we call not non-tributary groundwater which is mouthful um, and a double negative. But, um, but basically that's groundwater that has to be augmented. So you get water, but then you have to put water back into the creek. So it's not very valuable water. And then we also want to require any property that develops in town to dedicate any tributary or renewable water rights they might have with the property. Now this is likely to be fairly rare, but there are a few instances where this might come up in the future. Um, so, so basically what we're changing here in code is we're revising some definitions. That's just bringing stuff up to date. And then one of the key things is we're providing flexibility on the title opinion. Now the title opinion is important. Here's how it works. When a development comes into town, they dedicate our groundwater uh, their groundwater to us in exchange for entitlements. And they typically dedicate two acre feet for every one acre feet they, acre foot they need based on very conservative estimates of what they might need. But we want to make sure they actually have title to that water when they dedicate it because the water can be separated from the land. So they may own the land, but they may not own the groundwater. So we require a title opinion. Now that makes sense in most cases, except if we have a property, say, where you got a little half acre parcel of property that's got electric utilities on it and we want to annex that into the town and they're never going to develop the property, why would we make them do a title opinion, cost them thousands of dollars when they're not going to develop the property? So we want the ability to waive that title opinion requirement if they're never going to develop the property. If the property is not getting any entitlements, we don't need a title opinion. We just need the groundwater dedicated to us. We also want to remove this credit for this not non-tributary groundwater, this double negative groundwater, because uh, it really doesn't do, any, do us any good. And we currently provide credit to a developer for that groundwater. So we want to remove that. The next thing has to do with adjudications. So that's taking groundwater through water court. And that's fine, we, we want to do that for big amounts of groundwater. But if you have a little two or three acre parcel of land that has two acre feet of groundwater, and we're gonna make them go through water court to adjudicate that, the cost of that really is not very, um, 
economical. What we would prefer to do in that case is waive that requirement and adjudicate that groundwater as a part of a bigger case for other water that we've already acquired, which happens all the time. We'll acquire blocks of water and we may not take it through water court for five years and we may do that later. That's also to allow these little infill parcels that may not be doing development to develop or to annex without lots of costs. And then of course, as I said, we want to get any tributary water rights, so that's the other change here in code. And then there's some administrative revisions which are really non-substantive. So we took this through Water Commission. Um, they were very engaged on this, gave us, um, helped us really narrow down the title opinion piece so that we can only waive that title opinion requirement if the developer's not going to get entitlements, which makes a lot of sense. But anyways, Water Commission recommends approval and so is staff and happy to answer any questions. Any questions for Mark or staff? Seeing none, I will now open to the public. I have no one's time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call to press star three. And please state your name and whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Can you put up a, a, a there, thank, thank you very much. I move to approve ordinance 2024-004 on first reading as introduced by title. Second. That was first by Ryan Holland, and a second by Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember KB. Yes. Councilmember Bracken. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Deeds. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Aye. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Moving on to Number 16 on the agenda, direction, discussion, 2024-64, sorry, dash four, uh, council um, electronic participation, connection, and hybrid meeting policy. Kristen Reed. Thank you, Mayor and Council. I've got to follow Mark again, which is always a tough act to follow, so hopefully I can live up. But uh, this is an item that we've discussed on several occasions before, but it's been a while, so we wanted to bring this back to the surface for you all. Um, right now, we are in a hybrid meeting, so you see Shannon there, and she's got the folks on WebEx who may be logged on and may want to comment, and we started doing that back during the pandemic in 2020. And later that year, council decided to continue that practice indefinitely. Council did review that practice about two years ago and decided to continue with that with no changes, but uh, the Colorado Municipal League in its December newsletter did have an article that uh, pointed out some things about the practice, and so we thought it would be a good time for you all to visit this topic once more. We did query our neighboring jurisdictions. It's detailed in your packet. I did not detail this on the slide, but uh, we found about half and half. Half jurisdictions are having hybrid meetings as we are, and half are having the more traditional in-person public meetings like we had prior to 2020. Uh, just as a reminder for everybody, our meetings were still broadcast live, it was really that live interaction element that came into being during 2020. 
So to highlight some points from the CML article, um, this was from one of their lawyers who works for them. They pointed out that just because it's possible doesn't make it in a community's best interest. And they pointed out some instances of communities having um, some disruptions and other occurrences during their public meetings. And so they, you know, discuss how that can be a distraction and how there are other means for the public to access you all, such as um, email, comment forums, your council member open house meetings, your one-on-one -on -one communications, all sorts of other ways of uh, reaching you all. And so they um, suggested you just evaluate whether this is a practice you all wish to continue before we run into one of those troubling meetings, which fortunately we have not experienced here. So um, just wanted you to consider this information and offer a couple of alternatives. Of course, you can continue what you're doing right now, continue having hybrid meetings, or you could perhaps choose to discontinue the hybrid meetings but still allow electronic participation. You know, you all have circumstances that take you away from Castle Rock during council meetings, and so our policy does allow that you all could still remote in as you might need and so you could um, continue doing that for council members, but not necessarily offer a fully hybrid meeting. We did want to make a couple of notes. There is a separate policy that governs boards and commissions. And what that does is it gives the town manager discretion on how those meetings are conducted. His tradition has been to look to how you all are conducting your meetings. And I believe, I don't want to speak for him, but I believe that would be his intention moving forward. So if you all decide to make an adjustment to your meeting, he would follow suit with board and commission meetings. Neighborhood meetings held as part of our land development process are not governed by either of those policies. They're um, really uh, outlined by staff how those are to commence. And if you make any adjustments, our intention would be to write down some guidelines for those meetings for you all to approve so that everyone would have a common understanding as to how those meetings would move forward. Uh, one final note that I did not get into my presentation, there is a bill in front of the General Assembly that might have some influence on on this, so I wanted to point that out. It's House Bill 1168, and really it deals with accessibility and public meetings. Um, back a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't quite sure of that bill's chances, but it is looking like it might have some more legs than was initially thought, and that would actually require hybrid meetings at some point by the end of 2025 if it passes. So I wanted to bring that into the conversation also in case that influences your discussion, but really we wanted to bring you information and allow you to discuss it and provide us any direction that you might have, and we're glad to try and help with any questions. Any questions for staff? Sure. I don't open, open this to public. I have no one signed up to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak on the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and callers to press star three and say to our resident, non resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Thank you. Shannon? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, hello, my name is Brandy Kruger. I live here in the Cobblestone Ranch area. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, think about the um, participation of remote access to council meetings. Uh, this has been very informative for me to be able to participate remotely. Um, I'm currently up in the mountains. I was on a ski trip and appreciated the chance to um, learn 
educate myself a little bit more about what, what happens. Um, I would like to continue having the opportunity for us to have remote access to these meetings. It would be very difficult for me to provide insight as well as educate myself who we did not have the remote access. So uh, for me as a resident, um, I would ask for us to please continue to have that remote access capability. Thank you very much. Anybody else online? Thank you. Thank you. Let me give a little bit of background on this as well. Um, <clears throat> Chris and Reed uh, uh, mentioned this. So I was at the CML, CML uh, meeting in, in December. And how this really kind of came up is over the last year or so, there's been, council, they call them council bombings, when somebody gets online, gives a fake name, and then proceeds to swear at the council for four minutes because they're allowed to, or do anti-Semitic comments for, for four minutes because they're allowed to, or just say whatever they want to for four minutes because they're legally allowed to and the person who is running the meeting cannot stop the meeting no matter what is being said to them. And person online can give any name or any, any fictitious name and just swear at you. And this happened to well, the person who spoke was uh, Bud Starker, who was the mayor in Wheat Ridge. This happened to him. Uh, it was on the news, on the national news as well. It happened to him as, as well. And, and he had to sit there for, I think it was three uh, individuals who spoke for 12 minutes total, um, some mostly anti-Semitic uh, uh, rantings and swearing and that kind of stuff. And I think that one of the things that CML lawyers have, have mentioned and other lawyers from other jurisdictions have mentioned is that if somebody gets up in front of us here and decides to go ahead and start swearing and stuff at them, we have a face and a name. Um, if somebody is doing it online and we have, we, there's no recourse, there's no, it's, it's, it's the same as we, we get it all the time, is, is somebody um, emails us and, uh, and, and our keyboard warriors or whatever, um, there's, it's, there's no like, recourse on it at all. But at the same time, if someone's doing that online, I, I, I find it you know, pretty darn offensive. If you want to do it in front of my face and, and take on the world with your name and face, it's fantastic. Um, but if you want to do it you know, from behind a, a computer and just rant and rave for a while, um, I get that. I also get the other way around. I mean, I, I do get, I understand it. It is nice to have access when you're not here. Um, but I think we have a lot of access points. We have emails, we have voicemails, we have showing up in person. Um, I don't think we're trying to curb um, our citizens' voice on this. I think we're trying to curb some of the uh, some of the outlandish and outcries that we have from uh, our extremes. I think Laura Cavey was first, and then Max Brooks, and then Kevin Bracken. So I would like to continue with. Uh, allowing people to comment online. Number one, we've never had anything like that happen. Um, number two, I think the citizens deserve whatever access they want to us. And, you know, everybody has a very busy life. I mean, I myself can attest to the fact that I travel all the time. Um, and so if they have a busy day and they want to get online and still be able to do something at home until whatever you know issue is coming up that they want to talk about, then I think they have every right to be able to continue to communicate with us that way. I think um, not allowing it is um, shutting down some of their access to counsel, and I am not a fan of that. Thank you. Thank you, Max Brooks. Uh, question, yeah, and I understand that everything is kind of here uh, for consideration, but I don't believe that we've been talking about 
shutting off remote access. I think that it's just been whether or not people would be able to comment online. I think that you can still watch the meetings online. I don't believe that we've been discussing that. Um, I think it's just the, the remote comments. And so I, I, if I'm, is that correct? I'm sorry. Sure, council member. Our policy defines electronic participation, so that would be a council member's ability to participate from a remote location. A connected meeting was kind of those very few meetings we had where it was just mayor and I think a couple other people in the room during the height of the pandemic when almost everybody was virtual and then hybrid, which is what we're doing now. Prior to all of that, um, we've always broadcast our meetings live through our Granicus system, and that would continue regardless of which of those three options are occurring um, during the meeting. Okay, great. And then so for today, what we're doing is essentially saying, you know, we want to continue this discussion. This motion is not to make a specific decision tonight, but yet to just bring it back onto an agenda for the future. Is that correct? Okay, that, that so the decision would be later. We're not actually making the decision on that tonight. Um, and boy, I'm just thrilled with 1168. I just, I love how how those folks up there are just so worried about how we conduct our meetings. It's, uh, I, I don't know what I'd do without their guidance. Um, that's just so fantastic. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I couldn't, I could, you've gotta be kidding me. I couldn't uh, let that go. Um, I, I, I'm not a particular fan of, of remote participation. I just think it opens up a can of worms, and I think that we've been able to exist as a council for a very, very long time with being able to allow people or people to come out here uh, every every single meeting, and I would encourage that. I, I, I try not to have a whole lot of telephone conferences. I like to sit down with people face-to-face, -face, and I think that we should encourage people to do that. That's just my opinion on it, but I know we're just talking about bringing this back for later. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Kevin Bracken. Yeah, thank you. I was going to make the same point that Max was about the, the access, we're not restricting the access to watch the meeting, it's to participate online and the talk. And, um, and you know, I, I mean, this kind of post-COVID world where my company's back going full-time in the office and show up and start being present and start acting like a human again. And um, I, I encourage that. Thank you. Brian Hollinshead. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, first of all, we don't want to make a motion if we don't want to change anything, right? So um, we can just leave it be. But I do think it's important. We have a, an older population in this town that getting out on a night like tonight, their street might be still nasty and they want to drive. You know, people have got kids that can't sit here for four hours some nights to comment for th three or four minutes um, without getting a babysitter. So I, I, no one's abused it and we can take it away at any time. So if we, if we start having the wheat Ridge incidents, then we revisit it at that time. But I think for right now it's, it's not hurting anything. And some of our most common regulars are watching online every week and, and they occasionally chime in. I think that's important for them. I just have a question. Tesla floor. In the instance that somebody happens to go rogue, is, is it, optional to take them offline like once they once they begin they have full reign regardless well michael i'll go ahead and weigh in on here uh unfortunately if you offer uh, a public comment period uh you have to take on essentially all comers and so uh i think there have been instances where uh, people have used this as a way to uh, uh, bring 
action against a municipality uh, where uh, they've been essentially uh, turned off or uh, deleted, as it were. Uh, so um, I think you, you, that's, that's where you open yourself up to risk. And that, I think, is the, the point of uh, what the CML discussion was, Mayor, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that uh, that's what Wheat Ridge experienced. And you're seeing it happen in other jurisdictions throughout the country. This is an issue that uh, has come up at uh, the International Municipal Lawyers Association conferences. Uh, at, at what point are you violating somebody's First Amendment rights? So uh, that that's the uh, that is the risk. So, and uh, uh, I think we've been very fortunate out here so far. Tim Dietz and then Kevin Bracken. Yeah, just real quick, if anybody can answer this here is. Can we keep this available for a council member to remote in? Is that, I wanted to clarify my own brain, that's what we're doing. But I also agree with the mayor. Let's see your face. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah my, my impression is we're, we're gonna keep it for council members, um, but not for online, people who can just speak online. Uh, again, I, I get both points. I, I think that Ryan, I think all of our council members have a great point on this. I just think that, um, you know, it worked fine before COVID, before 2020. We didn't have a problem with it. And 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 at the same point, I see we want, we want to give our people access. Uh, but once someone starts swearing at us, you know, we get enough, I guess. We can go ahead and take it. But I just, I think it's a good thing to, for us to talk about. I don't know if there's a right or wrong, wrong answer on this. Um, Kevin Bracken, sorry. No, I was just going to say, there, there's plenty of videos out there. You can go on YouTube. You can go on Twitter. Some of them are... Some of them are funny, some of them are clever, and some of them are just uh, not so great, right? So I think we're probably at a lower risk, but uh, yeah, let's bring it back to another meeting in my opinion. So the proposed motion that's here, there's a little bit of a blank. What is? Sure, if I may, if you wanted the option where a council member could remote in, but you didn't want a fully hybrid meeting, that is what's referred to as electronic participation. So you would want to provide direction with regard to um, update the policy to allow electronic participation. I, I think that the proposed motion would stand just fine as I move to direct staff to bring back for council's consideration a resolution that would update council's electronic participation connected to hybrid meeting policy. Second. Motion? Yes, sir. Okay. First by. I'm a first by Max, Max Brooks, a second by Kevin Bracken. Um, again, I just want to speak towards it. No, no particular order. I think that it's at least good to bring back to us. I don't think that we're making any, any huge decisions tonight, but I think it's a good idea to bring back to us and, and talk a little more about it. Um, and again, I think everyone's comments were great, so I do appreciate it. First and second, and roll call, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? No. Councilmember Cavey? No. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? No. Mayor Gray? Aye. So that is three no's and four yeses, so that would pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen.
Number 17, adjourn to executive session, not to return. 17, executive session 2024-1, executive session as a conference with the town attorney to be conducted in accordance of section 24-6-4024 and CRS for the purpose of receiving legal advice on rezoning application submitted Douglas County by JRW Family Limited uh, Partnership and a proposed Pine Canyon development. The time is now. Well, no, that's, that's it. Oh. So moved. Second. second. <laughs> moved by Max Brooks, second by uh, Jason Gray. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you.